0: build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints ready to celebrate international women's day m&ms and iheart present women take the mic sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other and of course there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure peanut butter m ms because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight like listening to your favorite podcast so savor the deliciousness of peanut butter m ms and spread some positivity
2: morning peeps and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn bunker. Folks, I'm going to start off by saying I am not feeling well. I have been um, under the weather for the past couple of days. It is not COVID. Um, I have tested. I've just um, not been feeling well. I'm very uh, tired um, and lots of like cramping, uh, in my stomach. So nonetheless, I am taking care of myself, but, um, taking things a little bit easy, uh, for the next couple of days just to get my strength back. Um, nonetheless, always woke AF and always a new show. So I want to start off folks by telling you about my experiences over, um, over the long holiday weekend and some things that come up. Um, and when they come up for me, when they come up for people that are close to me, I like to share them with all of you because I feel like oftentimes we feel very disconnected. And when we are going through difficult times, we feel like we are incredibly alone. And it, alone in that experience, meaning that no one could possibly understand how we are feeling. And so that lends us to keep things inside when, in fact, um, we need support, right? And so I had the wonderful uh, pleasure and time of visiting uh, one of my best friends and her family and a couple of our other friends for her birthday. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, it had been a really long time since all of us had been together. I mean, some of us years um, uh, that we'd been together, you know, since before the pandemic. And, you know, because recognizing that everybody has different uh, risk tolerance levels. And so some people have gathered, you know, beforehand and others had not. Nonetheless, you know, what came up for me is how difficult the last two plus years have been for people and how all of us, you know, we're all women and, you know, we're all queer. Some of us are women of color. Some of us were white, but how we've all been dealing with the trauma. That is the only word that I can use of the last couple of years. Folks have, you know, put their energies into working out. Folks have moved outside of the city wanting like a slower pace in life. Other people had babies. Um, But what was evident was that our time together was really nourishing for all of us because it had been so long since we'd been really in community that we just laughed together and made food together and connected and took care of the babies together. And, you know, What I always find really interesting anytime that I get ready to write something about America, about democracy, about these times, about the pandemic, and, you know, kind of all these different waves of urgency that we are in, what sticks out for me the most is how important community is, whether it is the community that you live in, the community that you're building, the family community and units that you come from. What's really hard about America is that America has consistently over its 240 some odd years pushed the idea of individualism. That in this country, what is really problematic I have found is that the individual is more important than the collective. And you can look now at all of these different points of our society and our government that are failing right now and recognize that it all comes back to that. It's not even innate because we weren't born with it, but we were in fact gaslit into believing or taught that individual, rugged individualism was more important than the collective. That rugged individualism and the be and the ability to climb up that mountain and say that you did so without anyone else's help, even though you knew that that wasn't the truth, and the people that supported you all on that journey knew that that wasn't the truth, but somehow we've become addicted to that narrative so much so that you look at these you know very wealthy, normally very white. Um, celebrities, whether they be from Silicon Valley, whether they be uh, from Hollywood, <clears throat> whatever industry that they may be in, but you see them on the cover of magazines like Fast Company and Fortune, uh, and write-ups in the Wall Street Journal about how you too can make it if you just believe in yourself more. And you know, articles in the New York Times going through these wealthy, super wealthy people's daily routines as a way that if I can just figure out the. Key to their success, then I too can be a multi-billionaire. And the reality, right, is this. There is not one fucking person that has ever made it on their own. Not one person. I don't care if they had the biggest and the best ideas, right? I remember, and and now he's fairly controversial, right? But Malcolm Gladwell had written his book uh, that kind of put him on the map entitled Outliers. Outliers. And there are lots of tenants of outliers that I still believe in. right? That the amount of hours that you are able to put into something and his, his number, his magic number was 10,000 hours. If you ever followed the story of Thomas Edison, right? He believed in the fact that you needed to continue trying because he failed at creating the light bulb, um, over 10,000 times. And it was a 10,001 time, right? That you needed to get it right. So all of your failures are not what, um, are, are, what creates you, but it is really your persistence. But the reality is, is that even in the story of Thomas Edison, that wasn't the fucking truth, right? Um, that he didn't create, right? The filament paper, um, that you actually needed, uh, in order, right? Um, in order to create the light bulb. And I'm just Googling real quick. Um, because what drives me crazy is, um, that, we don't know the name, um, the name of the person as readily as we do. Um, but one of the, me- one of the people that was responsible for this journey that Thomas Edison took, um, was in fact, uh, Lewis Howard Latimer, right? Lewis, ha- Lewis, um, Howard Latimer, a black man, um, who was also, an inventor. Um... Was part of that journey, right? And there are people that fact check and say, no, it's not, and it's Thomas Edison and blah, blah blah because we always love to discount the story and the narrative of the white man doing so everything alone, right? And this creation. And so there's dispute, of course, because it is a black person that um that was also a part of this invention journey. But we don't believe in collaboration in this country. We believe in scamming, we believe in grifting we believe in, you know, anointing uh people who have been wealthy or become celebrities as new deities, right? Because we worship this. But the reality that i witnessed with my friends and that i always, you know, feel when i'm with my own family is the importance of community. The importance of feeling like that you are not doing everything alone, that there are people that are there for you to listen to you, to hold you, to connect with you. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, why do we have so much grief, so much rage, so much, you know, sadness, so, so much frustration, so much anxiety. And it is because all people, human beings want is to be heard, is to be seen, right? Right. And is to be cared for that's it. You think about racism and how endemic fucking racism is in America. I just learned this past week, and it just again, I feel consistently robbed by this country, and it makes me, on many days over the last couple of years, not want to fight for it anymore because I feel like fighting for America is fighting for the consistency of a lie, you know? So you have the fact that racism is so endemic in America. So part of the fabric that every accomplishment, every notable thing, that black people have done, that Native American people have done, that Asian people have done in this country, that Latinx people have done and contributed, had all been either ignored, downplayed, or completely erased. And that without like, the persistence of these communities that have been obstructed in their journeys to being able to attain whatever we believe the American dream to be, That even still, when I find out little tidbits of information, like the fact that Albert Einstein in 1946 came to the United States and was so taken aback by the treatment of black people in this country, and he had visited a historically black college and university that one of my best friends attended, Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, small black, uh, historical black university, and he sat down. We, and, and did, uh, presided over a lecture with the biggest and brightest minds at this university and what he said on his, upon his visit here, and, and he was also given an honorary doctorate from Lincoln university, a historically black college and university. And it was said that Albert Einstein didn't actually, you know, take honorary doctorates, right? But this one he did because he believed, and he had said that America's downfall was going to be its addiction to racism. It was going to be its treatment of its black population. And, you know, I continue to say, and I've said it here a million times, that where would America be um, as a producer, as a world power, if it had not continued to purposefully only clear lanes for white Americans? What if everyone actually did have the same access to opportunity? What if your educational outcomes and your life outcomes couldn't be based on your zip code? What if we didn't blame poverty on the people that are suffering it, but we blamed it on systems that didn't provide the same opportunity and the same education that they did wealthier and white people? What if we actually told the truth from the beginning, right? How rich how powerful, right, would this nation be because we would have provided a blueprint on how you overcome trauma, violence, tragedy, indifference by actually fucking seeing people and giving a damn, right? Instead of lying to people over and over again and saying, like, oh, what black people are just too sensitive. Well, maybe you would be sensitive too if you were beaten and murdered and your churches blown up and your children killed and no one gave a damn and the legal system looked the other way because they were complicit. I find America exhausting. And when I was with my friends this weekend, you know, we were saying, you know, maybe it's time that we do the extreme thing and just create a compound together and live off the fucking grid, because it seems that this nation is going down. Right. And so what can you do to preserve your joy, your happiness, your own community? Right. Um, Because the community that you have been born into is failing you and it's time is up. These are the kind of conversations that I have with my friends. And, you know, when I came back home, I, you know, have just been thinking and like looking through the headlines and realizing that nothing much has changed since I tapped out to have some joy and some uh, community and connectivity, nothing much has changed. Putin is fucking mad and is going to invade Ukraine. Um, Republicans are rabid and disgusting and the candidates that they are putting out are celebrating perpetuating violence and spreading more lies, um, that you can get more jail time for dogfighting like Mike Vick did when the whole world wanted to turn against this fucking man, um, for doing something heinous. I'm not saying that it isn't, but Doing dogfighting, it warrants more time, more uh, outrage from the press than killing an unarmed black father, a young man, at the beginning of his life, right? So it's, it's hard these days, folks, to not just sit in a state of rage, to not... You know, yesterday, aside from feeling like continuing to feel kind of unwell, I took the day... You know, off, right? It's was president's day. It's a fucking federal holiday. And the guilt that I felt from laying on my couch, from not going through all of my emails, for not, you know, um do writing an op-ed and working on my book and doing these things and just giving myself a goddamn break, right? Even though I say this to you all, all the time, I struggle on a regular basis to do so. And even when I do, I feel the guilt and the weight of not being productive every single moment of every single day, because it has been told to me, right? And fed to me as a black woman, that that is my sole role in this country, in this society, in this world is to be the world's fucking you know, mule. And it's exhausting. Even the feeling of the guilt is exhausting. So coming up next, um, is my conversation that I had with Dr. Inger Burnett Ziegler. And she is a clinical psychologist and associate professor at Northwestern University. And I want to read you the title of her book that we discuss in this interview, um, that I think is really incredible. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen exploring the emotional lives of black, of black women. And the book talks about trauma and that. Eight in 10, so 80% of black women have experienced some level of severe trauma in their lives and are experiencing considerable post-traumatic stress disorder and are just meant to quote unquote power through. And where does the strong black woman stereotype come from? And why aren't we allowed to fall apart? Why aren't we allowed to show our vulnerabilities, right? And so this book and this interview that we did, it was really important. And I hope that you all enjoy it and get something out of it, but also are thinking about the ways in which you have been just powering through, Right mindlessly powering through because you believe that if you stop, right, if you lay down, if you rest, then everything around you is going to fall apart. And so I think that it is really important to listen to what she is saying, particularly for black women, because that is who the book is for. Um, but for all women who are not at the center of this, but also have experienced many levels of trauma, holding things in, because if you were to express them, then they would be used against you. So coming up next is that conversation. Um, please let me know in the comment sections, what you think about this interview and what you think about the idea of community and how it relates to American society. Folks, I am so excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the very first time. Dr. Inger Burnett Ziegler, who's a clinical psychologist and author of a book that I think is, I- I'm wondering, why it took so long to be written, because it's a conversation that we have often. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen uncovering um, how being a strong Black woman or the idea of strong Black womanhood is something that is steeped at times in trauma uh, and being forced to be strong. And I think, you know, recently I've seen so many memes, Dr. Burnett Ziegler, so many memes that say, normalize not being strong, normalize, normalize rest, normalize asking for help. Um, how did this book come about for you and why do you think it's important? Particularly now as your, your book will be, uh, coming out later this month. Why is it important that we have this conversation, um, about, uh, black woman's trauma and emotional well being?
1: Well, Danielle, thank you so much for having me and uh, giving me the space to have this conversation with you and your audience. Um, The inspiration for the book was really my grandmother, um, who was, you know, my first example of a strong Black woman, like many people, kind of um, their grandmothers play a, a central role in their lives. And even as a little girl, I can remember looking up to my grandmother, having Graduated from college as an adult, having you know purchased her own home in the midst of you know redlining and other racist and discrimination housing practices that were being um, you know still carried out in Chicago, and you know really supporting me in my education and you know helping financially with with my education, and not knowing until much later in life. Um, Everything that she had been through had no recollection of that. Had no recollection of the abuse that she had endured with my grandfather, whom she had been separated from. Um, didn't really know the impact of kind of moving from the south to the north and and living in in the housing projects and you mm. know
0: uh,
1: you know working during the day and going to school at night. Not knowing about the multiple miscarriages that she had and you know as I came to kind of reflect on her experiences, what I knew as a kid, and then how I kind of reshaped this idea of her as I got older, I thought that, you know, she's really reflective of so many black women's experience, you know, someone who um, is doing it, you know, successful and uh, grinding and taking care of the things that they need to take care of at school and for their families, but have all of this other stuff below the surface that they're grappling with that so many um, others, others even close to them, might not know about, might not recognize. Um, And I I wanted to give light to that because I think that it's important that we share these stories. I think it's important for um, we as Black women to know that these difficult experiences are common such that folks don't feel alone, and it creates an opportunity for being seen, being validated, creating community, um, and creating space for for moving, moving to a space of healing.
2: You know, I think about you know listening to you recount um, your grandmother's experience. It 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 almost sounds as if she lived like multiple lives at one time, right? Uh, which is, which is often for, for black women because you have to wear so many different hats. We have to wear so many different masks. Um, and when I think about the exploration of the idea of black women's strength, I, I wonder if you know, I I think that it is a double-edged sword, right? I'm very proud to come from a line of powerful matriarchs, right? I'm very proud um, when people refer to me as a strong Black woman. At the same time, I I look to it as a burden, right? Like when when do I get to lay my head down? When do I get to, you know, uh, unpack my own pain? And do you think that we don't create space for Black women to be vulnerable, right? Um, and so, because there is a because vulnerability is very much tied to a sense of safety, right? Being being held both, you know, physically but emotionally and mentally, that we don't create that space. That we force Black women into finding pride in something that is actually can negatively impact their emotional well being.
1: I think that's exactly right and I think that that um, sense of pride with the the title um, the uh, the acknowledgement of being a strong black woman is one that um, that many people feel including myself you know it's an indicator that I, I made it that I've survived mm-hmm. that I'm still here that all of these difficult things that, you know, I'm faced with as a black woman on a day-to-day basis, like I'm still standing, head up, head held high, um, making it as best as I can. But on the flip side of that, when um, a person is kind of wrestling with this internal experience of, you know, hurt, sadness, anxiety, fear, shame, Mm -hmm. um, and, and not knowing, what to do with that, not having a, a place to put that, a place where they feel safe um, being with that, then that that kind of can create this tension where there's a sense of, you know, putting on a facade for the outside world. And that facade is, is distancing, right? It's distancing from being able to connect to other people. Um, And then when that happens, you know, a lot of people feel like, well, am I the only one? Am I the only one that's going through this? Um, And, you know, that that dynamic is one that really became apparent to me in my role as a therapist, because Mm -hmm. I saw so many people coming in, you know, in the privacy of a therapist office, um, unloading all of the stuff, you know, the burden, the baggage that they were carrying and feeling like nobody else was going through, Um, but having one person after another, after another come in, kind of share this common experience, I'm able to say, you know, there are a lot of people feeling what you're feeling. And that was one thing I really hoped to kind of communicate was the commonality in these experiences uh,
2: through the book. It's so interesting because I think that, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of black women, clinical psychologists, um, and 5%. 5, 5%? 5%, that's, that's actually more than I would have thought <laughs> to be, to be honest. Um, and I, I wonder how have you had conversations within the black community with black people that may come out of a place where therapy is stigmatized, right? Like in many ways for, for those people that Um, our, our church going black folk, you know, you're just told to pray about things, right. Um, pray, pray it away. And, and, and that is it. And that there, there seems to be this sense. And I think that it's changing now, but I really want your, your thoughts, you know, about going into therapy was perceived as something white people do, right. Mm -hmm. Or, or, you know, wealthy people do. Um, and that it in, in caring for what what does that mean? Does that mean that you have the inability to care for yourself, right? So then, it, at once going into any type of form of therapy totally pushes against the strong black woman stereotype, right? Because then, are you saying you can't carry it all? So mm-hmm. how have you dealt with that as a as a clinical psychologist, kind of you know navigating these multiple narratives mm-hmm. that have come out in our community?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that that's a really important question. That's something that is is central to the work that I do is understanding how people um, see themselves as being in need of extra support or not, um, and the things that can potentially interfere with them getting that support. And I think there are a lot of uh, material systemic factors that um, it's important to name that get in the way of people getting necessary support. Some being not having enough, you know, psychologists or psychiatrists or counselors of color, and that being a barrier to not feeling safe with a race mismatch provider, not having mental health resources in the neighborhood, not having insurance coverage for it, not having childcare, not having transportation, like all these concrete barriers. Um, But what you're highlighting um, equally as important is what i like to think of as like the psychological factors. So not so the stigma, absolutely. Um, But additionally, identifying yourself as kind of needing help, right? Mm -hmm. There's for a lot of people, the the default is I'm fine. I I don't need therapy. There's nothing wrong. I'm stressed, but stress is normal. I'm anxious, but anxious is normal. Everybody is depressed. This load that I'm carrying, that's what I see. All the women, all the black women, my grandma, my aunties around me, this is something that this burden has become so familiar. So this is just what I'm supposed to do. And to your point, if, if I need extra help, then the church or prayer or spirituality is, is where um, the, play, the first line of resource to, to get um, some relief. the suffering. And so, you know, I think it's absolutely right that for one to contend with the idea that, um, I might need something more is a a difficult thing sometimes for people to come to terms with, even after they make it to the therapist's office, there's still kind Mm -hmm. of that tension of what does it mean for me to be here? Does this mean I'm weak? I'm crazy. I can't handle it. I'm not strong. Um, But what I like to tell people is taking care of yourself, um, identifying I need some extra support to be able to do the things that I want to do, that I need to do, that other people are depending on me to do, is being strong, right? (laughs) Not having that support is is wearing yourself down in a way that um, you may not be able to show up how you'd like.
2: You know, my, my mother is a, is a, is a yogi and she owns a yoga studio, um, out east on on Long Island. And, um, and she often says you cannot pour from an empty cup, right? This is, this is things that she would tell her, her yogis. And, you know, it also, it always struck me because the idea I also think that is attached to and is part of the strong black woman narrative is the sense of martyrdom. Mm-hmm. right and so i must do for everyone else around me to the point of exhaustion mm-hmm. right um because that is what uh that is what success looks like right that everyone else is okay but that if i take the time to fill myself up then somehow that is a selfish act mm-hmm. how do you how do you help black women navigate that because i you know we we hear a lot now particularly um you know during the height of the pandemic right where many folks who you know if they were fortunate enough not to lose their lose their jobs were able to kind of go internally right i i know that that was that was the privilege that i had right was to really take this deep dive into what does joy look like what does happiness look like what does it mean to be healthy what does balance actually feel like Um, how do you help, you know, black women kind of walk this balance beam? Mm -hmm. Because there's so much, it's it's not just you know, the burdens of being a woman. It's not just the the at times frustration, even though there is no other choice that I would make to be black. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's your the cuts, you know, the death by a thousand cuts that we are dealing with on a day-to-day, how do you move people from this belief that Going deep, going inside, having this self care isn't selfish. Mm. That it's necessary.
1: Yeah, you know i I think you're so right um, when you point out the the centrality of martyrdom to um, what it means to be a strong black woman, and what I try to um, unpack with some of the people that I'm working with is how some pieces of feeling relied upon, depended upon the one that can handle it, the one that everybody goes mm-hmm. to, it feels good to be identified as that person, right? It's it's heavy and overwhelming and frustrating, but there can sometimes be that uh, a little bit of ego wrapped up in, well, I'm the one that has to kind of um, uh show up for everyone else and if not then everything will fall apart and so you know part of it is is challenging that narrative how you can kind of realign that system that often that family system where Mm -hmm. perhaps people are over reliant on you in a way that's not healthy for you um and then secondly, how you can insert yourself in the list of priorities where work is a priority, family is a priority, the church is a priority, community is a priority. And the question I ask people is like, where are you? Where do you fit into this? How are you, You know, what does it mean for you to be uh, sacrificing yourself in service of everyone else? and you, you're mad about it, right? Like You're mm-hmm. mad that, no, that people aren't there for you in the same way that you're there for them, that you don't get to do the things that you want to do. So how can we together kind of identify, you know, your needs, where you fit into the list of priorities? Um, and as you said, you know, what brings you joy? I yeah. So often ask people, what do you want? And it's it's shocking still how hard that question can be um, for some folks to answer. What does happiness look like for you? If you had the space, if you created the space, how would you use
2: that space? It's so funny because like, those are the questions, like those are to me, like, What I have learned, like what has come up for me over the past, uh, you know, year plus, and I, I share with folks, um, you know, my audience all the time, you know, my journey to self-care and like deep, you know, emotional health, right. Like centering that, uh, you know, you list out all these things that are priorities and it's like, I, I found that I needed to radically reorient my life right? And put myself, you know, and recognize that like, how can I give to the work, you know, working on in social justice, whether it is podcasting, writing, you know, or what have you is an agonizing place to be at times, right? Because you're throwing all of this energy in and, and you see very little progress. You see Mm -hmm. a lot more bad headlines, right? Mm -hmm. Of lives lost, uh, and tragedy that is, and trauma inflicted on the community. And I and I've told people, you know, that if you don't take breaks, you will have a breakdown, mm-hmm. right? Like if you don't if you don't take an opportunity to ask yourself those fundamental questions, what does joy look like for me? Mm-hmm. You know, we we throw these words around like happiness and you know, um, and and connection and community, but what does that actually mean for you? How does that show up? How do you want it to show up? And I think oftentimes we don't even ask Black women those questions, mm-hmm. right? And the, and so if you if those questions aren't asked and no one is modeling uh, it for you, it's unlikely that you'll end up asking yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, please. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think that's exactly right. And to, to get to that space of self as a priority, self-care as a priority, um, having the time and energy for joy, one of the central kind of behavioral steps toward that is often creating boundaries around what what you're giving energy to, mm-hmm. um, uh, other people, other tasks, everyone else that's pulling at you. And there can be a really strong tension around that because it's, it's, well, how is the other person going to respond is, as you said, if I radically reorient myself in this way. And I tell people, you know, when you're changing, you are disrupting the system. You're disrupting a system. Yes that's been put in place that is serving others and maybe not serving you as much as it could be. And there is likely to be a response to that. So how can, and this is a therapy setting I'm talking about, how can we think about, you know, you tolerating that discomfort of someone else when you say, you know what, I I can't do that for you this time.
2: I'm sorry, and they're mad. (laughs) (laughs) And they're mad, you know? And they're mad. And and also, you know, you brought up the the word boundaries, because what we find, too, is that when Black women set up boundaries, right, then what are the things that we hear? We're a bitch, angry, you know, people don't, uh, you know, you're you're not a team player. If it's in a work setting, you're not a team player. Um, All of these then negative stereotypes come around, and it's just like, I'm just literally creating space for myself and you're negating that. I also think too, um, the idea of growth, right. And you, you said, you know, change. And oftentimes there are people around you who are very happy with you staying exactly the way you are. Mm -hmm. And how do you help women understand that too, that change should be, evolution is, is inevitable and it should be our goal. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, if, if, if there are people that that are in your life that are uncomfortable with your, with you changing and evolving, how do you help them manage that?
1: Yeah. You know, I think one um, piece of that is identifying the, the spaces or people in your life that are kind of draining you and those that are, are filling you up. Um, and so, you know, often I'll talk to people about, you know, how is this, how is this setting? How is this person, um, serving you? Right. And usually there is a, there's a back and forth, right. In a, in a healthy relationship, like you're putting something out and you're getting something back Mm -hmm. in return that feels good or meets some need for you. But Also, you know, people might identify that, you know, they're the ones that are always putting out and they're not getting anything back from a particular situation. So that might be one in which, you know, you want to start to either completely separate yourself from or um, put some boundaries around the way that you engage in that and reorient yourself again to Mm -hmm. those spaces that will be more fulfilling, nurturing, um, you know, producing joy. Um, Yeah.
2: For the last year plus, I started a meditation practice. I've been in therapy for four years, um, you know, thankfully, uh, as a way to understand myself and my relationships and why I engage uh, the way that I do and just wanting to be better, right? Like I want, you know, my goal is always to be the best version of myself. The show is called Woke AF, but Right, how I look at it now isn't just about the political context of it, but how to how to live consciously, conscious living, mm-hmm. right? and what does it mean to live awake mm-hmm. uh in all in all various aspects of your life? And so you know in 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 thinking about that, what it means to be conscious is I, I'm wondering as people as we are moving um out of this pandemic stage. We're not done with COVID-19, but restrictions have been lifted. And there are so many expectations, once again, that are, that are starting to rear their heads of people showing up um, and, and wanting to reconnect. What advice do you have for this reengaging that we're doing in society after so many, many months apart? Um, for those people that may have learned things about themselves and now they're no longer the same person that they were pre pandemic, which I know is true for many people. It's certainly true for me. And so, what advice do you have for people as they, you know, seek this, this new normal, Mm -hmm. right? That they don't want to go back to what was. Um, but they, but there is still a lot of anxiety there about being accepted. Right about being welcomed in the in the new version of themselves.
1: Yeah, first I, I really want to acknowledge uh, what you said about the role of of yoga. You mentioned yoga earlier and uh, meditation or mindfulness and its um, its utility in the space of self care and wellness. Those are practices that I really embody that I try to incorporate in my therapy practice. And you know when I think about Um, The role that yoga has played in my personal life in terms Mm. of starting off as someone who was highly anxious, um, highly, um, you know, kind of stuck in my head concerned about, you know, self judgment and perception and perfectionism and, um, you know, it showed up physically Mm -hmm. in my body. Um, both the racing thoughts as well as the physical sensations of heart racing and shaking and all of that. And yoga really was transformative for me in terms of really understanding how stress and trauma and the pressures of being a, a black woman can show up physically and emotionally. Yep. Um, and then uh, a meditation in my grew out of that. And so I just want to acknowledge that, you know, that's something that I really, that really resonates with me as well. Um, but to go back to the, the the point about COVID, you know, I think this has been a really important moment, particularly for Black women, because, you know, another, what I see as core aspect of being a strong Black woman is being doers, um, being mm-hmm. busy, and busyness can be a distraction. Um, yep. Busyness can be an unhealthy coping mechanism because it's a is a way for us to not attend to, you know, the internal experience. And in many ways, this forced some people to, to sit with themselves. I mean, that's, you know, a piece of what meditation and mindfulness is, is to be in stillness and see what shows up. Um, and that was hard for a lot of people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I saw a lot of people, like e- even in COVID, even not being able to do 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 the way they typically would, finding something else to not be with the thoughts, not be with themselves. But for some folks, it was an opportunity to to notice what's showing up, to notice that distress, to practice different ways of self care or stillness. Um, connection even um, that they may not have really given themselves space for if all of the busyness of the outside world had still been present. And so, you know, my advice, if you will, moving out of this would be to hold on to the slower pace. Yeah. um, To hold on to um, opportunities to just be rather mm-hmm. than do um, hold on to mindful awareness and mindful connection with others because I mean it's happening now in the blink of an eye
2: it's like all this stuff
1: trust me my
2: I, I looked at I looked at my calendar this week and I said, Oh damn. Yeah. I guess, I got guess, I guess we're back in the street It's like, like I was like, oh okay. Um and, and and needing to check in with myself like Wait, are you doing? Are you saying yes to these things out of a sense of joy? Again, asking myself that question mm-hmm. or out of a sense of obligation mm-hmm. because I don't want to move back into a sense where my calendar is completely full. I have created no space for myself because I feel obligated now that we're moving outside of our pods back into general population to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the you know the point that I you know that you're making which is you know to continue like if the slow pace was working for you mm-hmm. right then to figure out ways in which you keep that going mm-hmm. and that before we say our reflexive yes mm-hmm. to things to actually check in and say is this what I want that's right yeah
1: i tell i tell people all the time to practice pausing because we do i love get- that into that reflexive, you know, and and it could be a moment or two or three and and make intentional responses to what we're doing to what we're saying yes to because it it can happen so fast. (laughs) Um, And before you know we're back to the chaos that we started off with.
2: A hundred percent. I love that. Practice pausing. I'm going to use that. I will I will note that it's from you. I will put that, that it is from you. But I'm going to I'm I'm gonna hold on to that because I think it's important. Thank you so much, Dr. Burnett Ziegler, for making the time to join Woke AF. Um, Folks, the book is Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, The Emotional Lives of Black Women, and it will be available uh, in all the places uh, at the end of this month. Thank you so very much uh, for for the work that you're doing and and the time that you gave us today. My pleasure. That is it for me today, dear friends here on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck.